0: My name is Haley Winter. You are listening to How's the Pressure, my podcast about what happens behind the scenes in the massage world. Hey! Well, this episode's going to be a fun one. I got a chance to drop in with Mr. Carl Johns, the eloquent man with two first names. He has been practicing bodywork for over 20 years and teaching for more than 15. So we get to dive into where the future of massage may be headed. As it moves further and further into the mainstream, what are we gaining and what do we have to lose? So our conversation will touch on many topics, from mystery to responsibility, and we even get a fun anecdote from Carl. So without further ado, I give you Carl Johns. Today we have with us Carl Johns. Welcome Carl. Thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit about the transition that massage therapy is taking as it becomes more and more mainstream. Curious for you to uh, kind of expound upon this for our listeners on some of the concerns you may have around this subject. Yeah. Where should we start?
1: Uh, Maybe my main worry just to Start out is the, is the loss of the mystery, um, and I think that that when we talk about a human body, human body mind, a human being, uh, we're still talking about a bit of a mystery, maybe more than a bit. Uh, and I think that's that's for all the folks who will really step up and admit it in all fields, whether it be you know neuroscience or surgery massage therapy or psychotherapy or whatever, it's all still a mystery. Uh, We're we're touching into uh, many things and we're always developing theories. Uh, If we follow a little bit of history around science and medicine we'll find that uh, theories are arising and then new theories are arising, disproving old theories generation after generation. And I think that's an ongoing process. So That implies a bit of mystery uh, that that is still there to be had. And touch is a... uh, It's a very multi-dimensional kind of thing.
0: Uh, Can I ask you about the mystery part of it? And is it more that you're concerned that mystery allows for curiosity and therefore we stop innovating or stop asking the right questions? Or is it that mystery is important because if we don't admit that there's mystery then we claim we know everything which Which of the two is more correct uh, or is that, it both those things <laughs> it's both of those and,
1: yeah I mean the second piece is, is interesting because uh, when we when we get really focused on what we know um, it, it's easy to think that that's the answer um, and in something as complex as a human body which is a little mini universe you know we can't really know all that there is to know and, and all the practitioners that I've uh, run across and learned from who have been doing this work for a long time, um, they always give themselves up a bit to the mystery that the, there is a wisdom of the body and its healing mechanisms that it, that it can be trusted. Um, so I don't always know what needs to be done, but I know that as a facilitator for somebody I can help somebody find themselves. It's a bit of a mystery. Uh, it's, it's not always easy to explain. And I think uh, uh, many of the fields of body work, um, the different modalities and, and uh, kind of paradigms of this work will, will say the same things. I've, I've heard you know heavily experienced osteopaths talk about uh, how difficult it is to research the kind of work they do and the sacral, biodynamics, those kinds of things, because there's an incredible amount of variable. Um, so people are healing, people are finding that kind of space in themselves to heal, uh, but the, the nuts and bolts of it in terms of a uh, kind of a double-blind medical research study are kind of impossible to conduct. Uh, so we start to look at the, the practices of people over years and decades, and we see you know, directions that are...
0: Well, I, I, I appreciate that there is an element that we obviously don't understand. Um, one of the things that I see sometimes is that people use this idea of there is it's impossible or it's unspeakable or it's, it's too mysterious to name as almost a crutch to not explore or to not say that that is important to still work towards. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where there's a, it, it's, it's used as a, a kind of a cop out for still pursuing uh, to get better and to find the, the best uh, treatment or the best uh, education for your client or for the therapist themselves. Yeah. And how do you balance where you're not going to just simply say, well, I can't explain it versus, um, so I'm not going to try versus, well, I can't explain it but I'm going to keep searching for it. Like, what, where is that balance? How, how do you differentiate the two?
1: I think you do your damnedest to try to explain it, uh, but then acknowledge the things that cannot be explained. And a, part of it, too, might be that we haven't figured out how to research some of this work. Like, we're putting it in a model that is really good at, say, researching a pharmaceutical drug not so hard to do a double blind test with a placebo. Uh, When we come into massage therapy, that gets more complicated. It's very difficult to do. So maybe uh, rather than say, you know, we can't figure this out, we need to figure out how to research it. You know, how can we include those variables in a way that explains what we do uh, in a reasonable way Uh, rather than just to say, if it doesn't fit in this model, then it's not real. Uh,
0: so, you are you arguing for a, a different model by which to as, to ascertain whether there is success in
1: in treatment for massage therapy or yeah. other modalities? I think something has to, to
0: arise
1: uh, in terms of research that that uh, accepts what it is that's being researched, rather than trying to fit that into a model that has has typically researched very different kinds of things and. One of our ways of being in Western science is to, to, is to specialize and to focus. Uh, it's that kind of directed thought. We're going to exclude all the variables, and we're going to get this down to this one thing that we can really see. Is this effective? Um, this is ancient work we're talking about, and it goes back through Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, body work all over the world, uh, many different kind of indigenous medicines. Um... And those medicines, uh, massage being one of them, uh, think very holistically. Uh, so there's detail to be had. And any of those paradigms can move into some very focused and detailed work. But there's also an openness to the whole of the person uh, at the same time. And those things don't always fit so well into the modern medical science research model so we should accept massage therapy for what it is while we go forward with that research but there's a different kind of uh, uh attitude about something like massage we have fields that look at it and say well it hasn't been proven so we don't accept it uh, although those same people will accept the gravity or electricity uh, and use it every day uh, so yeah absolutely let's let's be accepted, and then let's get on the get on the trail and figure out how it works.
0: I know you you talked about um, evidence based research, and there's something in the tone of evidence you mentioned. That, like, what kind of evidence? Can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you talk about what kind of evidence? Uh,
1: I I think that there's a lot going on uh, in that realm that is again kind of takes us down to certain kinds of details, and it may say, you know, if I do this kind of Particular soft tissue work, uh, you know, deep transverse friction in this area for this period of time. Uh, what will the effect be physiologically? Um, and those are very reasonable things. And there, there are major conferences around the world, fascia conferences, all these different things where people are are taking this kind of research to its to the hilt, uh, and it's it's fascinating, beautiful we're discovering some amazing things and we're also discovering some things that we don't know. Um, we're disproving our theories all the time. I was just recently reading some things about just fascia and what's possible. Um, and I think we've been operating on some loose theories about what we do with, with connective tissue. Um, so, I mean, the other thing is, uh, what other kinds of bodies of evidence are out there and how important are they for our field? And one of the things that I will always kind of align with is uh, psychotherapy, mind-body medicine, uh, meditation, tai chi, qigong. These are, these are things that have been around for, for quite some time. And that mind-body medicine field kind of pulls these things together uh, and does some, some pretty uh, interesting research around it that gives a body of research to something as simple as the relaxation effect. Um, I'll say this in classes a lot, in Swedish massage classes. So what about Swedish massage? Well, it's just relaxation massage, right? Just a little fluff and buff. Uh, Does it really do anything? Shouldn't I be doing something more therapeutic? Uh, And my answer is always maybe the relaxation effect is the most therapeutic thing of all. Uh, And if we can combine that with some specific soft tissue work, maybe we're going to get a little further along the path. Uh, Because that, uh, and if we go to research way outside of massage therapy, in the field of embryology, um, the research is saying the forces that grow us are the forces that heal us. And this is a very oversimplification, I'm sure, but uh, we access those forces in deeply relaxed states, like sleep. Uh, so, taking somebody into a deep, sleepy kind of state during a specific soft tissue kind of session—that's uh, a great combination of things. And maybe it's it's activating the the innate healing forces of the body, uh, and we don't even know. Uh, but there's where that big string of kind of anecdotal evidence in a lot of fields and osteopaths are very aligned with the embryological field uh, and they've been kind of combining their their research for a long time Uh, so we start to see that kind of effect when people get into deeply neutral still spaces Um, some interesting things can happen Um, I've actually had that experience a few times on my table uh, where I got people into deep deep stillness and put a simple intention towards some part of the body and had them report afterward uh, for one, that they the pain was gone uh, and two, they can describe the sensation of energy moving through their body as it happened um, so I've had a little personal experience with that kind of thing uh, and then, you know I mean, if I say that at a, at a uh, I don't know a fashion conference or something like that they might think I'm crazy but, uh, but what I'm after is that we really take a look at all the fields. And massage therapy is kind of an interesting intersection of things because there's, there's some uh, very uh, physical, physiologically based kind of things going on there. There's absolutely some psychological uh, kind of body, mind, spirit stuff going on there. Uh, we need to kind of pull all the fields in and... and accept all of the, the research that's going on out there and and use that to kind of say this is this is our power this is what we have to offer um, i will often tell therapists who are kind of going out there to get started you have in your text a list of effects and benefits uh, for swedish massage and it kind of goes for almost every every form of body work and it'll say uh, this enhances the circulatory system the respiratory system the di- digestive system the immune system all these all the systems tend to work better um, that is the research around the relaxation effect that's, and that's where that list comes from
0: and where can they find resources for more of these detailed or more nuanced or more specialized studies and uh, so like if like deep fascial work like where where is a good resource for them to go for that uh
1: leon Chaitow is a really interesting person to follow uh who is totally immersed in all of this stuff um uh tom myers the anatomy trains uh that website would probably lead to lead you to a lot of things there there are lots of people in the field that are that are interested in these things. Rolfers are very connective tissue-oriented people, so anybody that's been in that field for a long time can probably lead you toward those kinds of research conferences. Um, there's a there's a fascia conference that happens every few years, and all these folks get together and kind of figure out, you know, what's going on. I heard a, an interesting little piece about that, and uh, this is Leon Chaitau in an in a hour-long little YouTube lecture where he's kind of going over all the details of this particular conference, and he he talked about I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but they these scientists get together and they take uh, a tendon from an animal like a cow, and they've they've somehow managed to recreate the healing pro- process uh, so that the fibroblasts will move in there and kind of so they can watch it under a microscope, which is something that's obviously very difficult to do in a living thing. So they kind of recreated this process uh, that they can watch under the microscope and that they can play with. Um, So they would injure the tendon. uh, The healing process would start. uh, And then they would put uh, a mechanical force into the tendon. So they'd maybe do a 9% stretch for 3 minutes. And at 9% for 3 minutes, uh, the healing process would accelerate if they did 12% for four minutes, it was decelerated. So somehow there's something in the movement and mechanical pressure that can be beneficial or not. Uh, it was an interesting story and Chai said, uh, and he's a, as, as experienced an osteopath and manual therapist as you could possibly imagine, but he said, there's no way I can tell if I'm putting a 9% stretch into any tissue. Uh, so I'm not sure what to do with that, but it sure is interesting. And I was having a conversation with a colleague about it, and and she said, "Well, maybe that's the place where it's like mm, that feels so good. Maybe that's the nine percent, you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there's a, there's a good reason to want to make people feel good during sessions that we can really accomplish a lot therapeutically and hold them in a space that feels really good. And I, I wonder if that's... Because the body is very smart, you know. I, I think it, it knows when it's being threatened and it will it will recoil from that and it knows when it's being nurtured and it will be attracted to that. And I think if we're moving people forward, we want to attract them. We want to kind of pull them into something that feels inviting. Uh, so I, I think there's, there's good... Um, good thinking, good experience and practice, good evidence out there for for the nurturing of people uh, as we do all kinds of therapeutic work with them. Uh, I, I really think it's a, a smart combination of things.
0: Yes, I, I agree. And I think that there's also it's important that therapists and newer therapists realize that there is that research and literature out there. That they can educate themselves yes. on that subject matter, so that when they do talk to people, because I, I know this comes up a lot for newer therapists, is that they have trouble conveying why what they're doing is going to be helpful. And they then they resort to things like it's a mystery or it can't be explained, as opposed to saying, hey, if you actually educate yourself, if you put yourself in a position to where you can know and then educate your client on what is actually happening as best we can understand it. Yeah then that comes from a place of, of real power and caring at the same time. Yeah. And at the same time of that is it also being okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. And knowing where that line is. And not necessarily letting that line be kind of a, a spectrum depending on how confident you feel that day yeah. or uh, how gullible you think your client is or what you can get away with. Instead, it's really clear what I know and what I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that's a... People can feel that, too, when you talk to another person and you say, this is what I have to offer you. If you're speaking from a place of truth, they will they will feel it.
1: Yeah. There's so much out there. And um, I'll just always say to students, you know, read, explore, you know, figure this stuff out. Uh, and it's, you'll get stuff from every angle and it'll probably confuse your mind and you just do it anyway because... Uh, part of it will be how does all of this information relate to me as a therapist and the kind of work that I do uh, so we all do very diff- this is a very interesting field because it's it's widely variable you know there are people doing sports and deep tissue work people who are doing acupressure people who are doing craniosacral therapy people who are combining all these things um, the 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 styles of bodywork are as variable as, as people, you know, one person to the next. Every, all of this expresses through the person, uh, which means the way that they take that information in and, and give it back out is going to be very individual. It'll be kind of tailor-made to what they do. Um, and I, I get that, you know. I know that when I, when I say some of these things to people in the classroom, you know, I'll say... This is my voice you're hearing. And you're going to hear a lot of other voices out there. You're going to have to decide what you resonate with. You know, uh, I might say some things about you know, deep, traumatic, uh, painful body work. And what I would say about that is there's a, there's a, a huge use for that. It's a negotiation, though. Uh, it's, it's a moment where we say, this is that space where we're going to do something that's, that might be very uncomfortable, but it's going to be really productive. And here's why. Uh, and if we bring the client on board, informed consent, which is kind of the basis of all healthcare, uh, then they are informed. They understand what that work is for, what its what its potential is. We're not sure what it's going to do, but we have an idea based on research, based on the experience of the therapist, maybe based on the experience of the client, we have an idea of where they can go. And if we kind of come to that together, then we're probably going to move in a positive direction. If we're not able to say those things, and we leave people in the dark, that's where mystery becomes. It shouldn't be darkness. (laughs) It should be mystery. If we leave people in the dark, they don't often progress so well because they don't know. They don't know where they're going. We haven't we haven't lit the way for them, and I think that's that's our responsibility is to educate ourselves, educate our clients, educate the general public about this work and what its what its potential is, uh, so that we have you know informed therapists, informed clients, and we're all moving in a positive direction.
0: I've noticed that there's a difference between Western medical profession careers and bodywork careers in just in terms of labeling, actually, you've got the, if you start as a doctor and then you start specializing your, who you are and what you do becomes a longer and longer name and it becomes more and more specific. And as bodyworkers, the longer bodyworkers do bodywork, almost the more amorphous their label becomes they're no longer a deep tissue therapist they're no longer a shiatsu practitioner they're kind of a magician you know they they start to lean into these vague terminologies cuz there's not a label that accurately describes them yeah. and i'm curious to know what your thought process is on you know one the difference and two is it a helpful difference or does it take away Hmm.
1: It's, it, it is interesting to try to describe what we do. And I'm, I'm guilty of having made up a label, uh, acucraniatsu, to describe what I do. A combination of acupressure, craniosacral therapy, and shiatsu. And I think about that sometimes, and I think, well, am I really a shiatsu therapist who just... Incorporates all these other things. I'm a craniosacral therapist. It incorporates all these other things, and, and then I think it probably doesn't matter. Um, uh, I think it's a little odd sometimes for me that we reinvent body work all the time and, and slap a different label on it. You know, the Haley technique. So that's going to be something new, but it's probably going to be something old. You know, or a cobbling together of some very old things. I don't know that there is so much new in this work. Uh, if you really look at the history from way back, uh, I think we've pretty much been doing the same things uh, for a long time. and we, they, they just kind of emerge with a new kind of system around it. Uh, when I think about the... the world of osteopathy and craniosacral therapy and the world of Chinese medicine one of the things that became really apparent to me is that that these two fields were listening deeply to the energy and fluid systems of the body and wrapping a whole different kind of language and paradigm around exactly the same thing but sometimes it would intersect Uh, William Sutherland and all the writings of Chinese medicine used the breath of life to describe the energetic movement of the body That there is a deep tidal breath-like movement that moves all the body fluids. So interesting that it came out to be the same term, uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago and in the late 1800s or early 1900s. I love those similarities, and I I love to explore the history of bodywork and find all the the similar things that we've done. Uh, from different cultures all over the world. Those are the things that are probably going to work really well because they've been proven out for a long time.
0: But do you see them as a circle where they're simply just recycling themselves or are they actually making progress? So is body work now better than it was 2,000 years ago?
1: I don't know. I, it, it depends on your point of view. I mean, I think there are people that like to look back. Uh, I've read a lot of Chinese philosophy and it always it always kind of looks back to the ancients. This is when time, people were perfect back then. These were the sages and they were the, but we also have a a facility for kind of looking forward and, and making progress and kind of improving on things. And I don't know. I think that probably what's most real is that we continue to move forward. So I would say that we, we can keep, uh, shifting, combining, responding to the world, responding to what people come to us with, creating something new, but honoring the history and and what it actually is, where it came from. And I think a a really solid knowledge of history, well, history is a very interesting thing, right? It kind of keeps us from supposedly repeating the same mistakes over and over again.
0: Rarely does Uh, it do that. Yeah, it
1: doesn't seem to do that, but I think mainly it's because people don't know their history very well. Uh, I think a lot of people don't or they pay little attention uh, but I think there is some potential for us to really uh, know our history and develop new things based on that, to honor those things uh, to continue to use some of those old labels and then we'll create new ones you know. Well I,
0: I, I'm of the mind that it definitely is getting better and it's my opinion but I think you know 2,000 years ago they didn't have the ability to dissect a cow leg and yeah. See right. the reaction to a certain degree, angle of stretch, uh, for a certain time period, yeah. and be able to know, and then disseminate that information to thousands and thousands of people. So um, I'm glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> Sounds like, for the most part. Yeah,
1: I think I think progress is progress, and it's it it's all good, you know. Uh, and and I'll hold a space for the mystery, you know, for the things that I won't be able to explain, and and I'll also say to students, you. You have to be good at telling people what you know or what we know, uh, and you also have to be good at telling people what you don't know. Uh, and, and that's that comes to a certain kind of honesty about the work that we do. Uh, this is what the current research says. This is this is what my experience says. We don't really know what's going to happen, so we try. You know, we come together and see if we fit, see what happens. Uh, maybe we're going to write a new story uh, because new stories are emerging all the time. Uh, probably with every client you meet Uh, so there is a space for um, what we don't know and I find that clients really appreciate uh, having that as part of their informed consent Uh, that it's not about you know this is what I'm going to do for you but more about here's the relationship that we're going to enter into and here are the possibilities let's see where we can go
0: I think that's a good takeaway from our talk actually Uh, thank you so much for coming in Carl I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We've barely gotten started. I, we I have. will have to come back. You will have to come back. We'll have you on again. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, you can find us on the website, which is com. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much, Carl. You're
0: welcome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.howsthepressure.com, where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.